Hear now the word of the Lord as the beloved St. Matthew gives us testimony to our Lord as he gave his life for us. Now as they came out, this is beginning with the 32nd verse, as they came out, they found the man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross, and when they had come to the place called Golgotha, that is to say, the place of the skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink, but when he tasted it, he would not drink. Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among themselves, and my cloth- for my clothing they cast lots. Sitting down, they kept watch over him there, and they put a, over his head uh, the <clears throat> accusation written against him, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him and wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priest, also mocking with the scribes and the elders, said, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those who stood there heard the sound and said, this man is calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it to, on a reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come down to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion and those who were with him guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. And many women who followed Jesus from Galilee ministering to him were there looking on from afar, and among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Joseph, and the mother of the Zebedee's sons.
What a what a message. Incomprehensible, isn't it, that an innocent man would be so treated? And yet it was foreordained by God from the beginning of the foundation of the world. What does the scripture say? Behold the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. The world suffers the silliness of much unsound doctrine. Do you know that? It has been reported in the media that the current Pope has said there is no hell, lost souls simply disappear. Well, I beg to tell that Jesuit, that is not what the scriptures say. And by denying the scriptures, he witnesses, if he did that, that he is certainly fallible and subject to error. So often we take the events of the Bible and, and biblical scholars are prone to do this and, and they study them just as a matter of history and as a, a matter of analysis. A description that misses the point. I think this came across profoundly to me when I was a student at Duke University about a million years ago. And I was taking a class. There were only about 14 or 15 in this seminar <clears throat> on the life of Jesus. Someday I think I ought to sue them for educational malpractice for taking money and not delivering on what they're supposed to. But in this class, we came one day to the discussion on the life of Jesus as who was responsible for the death of Jesus. And I've shared this story with some of you, but I'll share it again because it's worth sharing again. And we'd been going on for about a week, and people would say, well, this is the reason the Romans were responsible, on and on and on. This is the reason the, the Sanhedrin was responsible, on and on and on, and on and on with all the characters and figures in the historical setting of the death of Christ. There was, in my class of students, a fine, godly, and very humble young man from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, his name was Lynn Chapel, brilliant Hebrew scholar. I sometimes felt he knew more about Hebrew than the professor. And as we were discussing it, who was responsible for the death of Jesus, Lynn Chapel raised his hand and he said, Professor, I can tell you with certainty who was responsible for the death of Jesus. And that pretentious academic Don stretched himself up to his full five foot six and leaned over the podium and says, Well, Mr. Chapel, pray tell us 
who was responsible for the death of Jesus. And with a kind but a voice that also one sensed brokenheartedness, Lynn's simple answer was this. I was. Now the truth of the gospel may not have been heard in the entirety of that course, but it was heard then. And when the church gathers as it does tonight, we, we gather, I hope, understanding that it was because of us that Jesus went to the cross. As we alluded last night in our communion service, we know that the old covenant, the covenant of the Ten Commandments, was a legal agreement between all of humanity and God. Moses may have signed on the dotted line, but he signed for all of us. Which said that we cannot approach God and be in a relationship with him until those laws are kept. And we know that in the entire history of the world, up until the Lord Jesus Christ, those laws were broken. And we've broken them, as we saw last night. And so, apart from Christ, all stand under the judgment of God. I don't know if our church here has ever used the Apostles' Creed. Anybody ever remember I'm using it here? It's a good creed. We need to use it occasionally. It is the oldest confession of the faith outside the scriptures that the church possesses. If not used by the apostles, certainly used by the men like Clement and, and uh, Ignatius and the others that served the apostles. It has in it very briefly describing the crucifixion when it talks about Jesus. He was born of a virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate. That's what this whole 26th chapter of of Matthew was about his suffering under Pontius Pilate, under the supervision of him. He was dead and buried. The Westland churches end that portion of the creed there. But the churches of the Reformation continue what the old creed taught with the phrase, he descended into hell. That is scriptural. First, it is scriptural because what is hell really? What is the key marking of hell? 
Hell is to be separated from God. To be separated from God. When he cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sevathani. He was crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you separated yourself from me? I wear lots of crosses. I didn't wear one of them, the one tonight that's one of my favorites. But it was given to me by a dear old farmer friend up in Ohio in my church. He gave it to me the week I left it and would no longer be his pastor. He gave it to me, and it's a cross. And on the crossbar, some of you may have noticed it at times, it has the words, paid in full. The penalty of sin in the Bible is what? The penalty of sin is death, right? And what else is the penalty? The penalty is the judgment of being separated from God because of that sin. So that we owe to God for our sins, every human being does, death and the judgment. And those who die under sin pay the penalty. Not only of dying, but of being lost in hell. Hell is a part of the penalty for sin. Don't forget it. Sorry, Pope Francis. Hell is a penalty for dying in your sin. So when we talk about Jesus being the atonement for our sin, We all say, dying is not the worst thing that could happen. That's true. Dying is not. The worst thing that could happen is to go to hell, right? Isn't that the worst thing that could happen? To be separated from the Father forever and ever and ever? Jesus paid our debt in full. Not only dying, but descending, as St. Peter said. To the lower places. Jesus loved you enough to suffer the fullness of the effects of your sin. You know, he even goes beyond, you know, uh, loving us enough to lay down his life for us. He loved us enough to pay the penalty, the ultimate penalty for our sin. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever realized that? And to realize that and to know that magnifies his glorious love for us. Nobody loves you that much. Jesus paid it all. He paid, as we often say in that old phrase, he paid for us a debt we could not pay. He paid for us a debt we did not owe. And the, and the profound depth of which he went to pay for our sin often escapes us.
My dear friends, if, if we believers realize the greatness of his love, it would fill us with a gratitude that, that nothing he could ask of us would be too great. Jesus paid every debt you owe spiritually. I don't like being in debt. Everybody gets in debt. Some everybody here has probably got some debts, and it's isn't it a joyful thing? And when it's paid off, you're glad, aren't you? Um, but man, the debt we owe God the Father is something we couldn't pay. You, with your best and most devoted efforts, could never make up for the sin in your life. My sons are very different kinds of kids I, I noticed that you know I think if you had a dozen they'd all be different they're different but I noticed the difference in them that um, my oldest son was always growing up very compassionate for people in their troubles in fact in school kids would seek him out to talk to him about the troubles in life um Jim, on the other hand, would certainly talk to your tro to people about troubles, but I think he was uh, afflicted with a problem I had for years, and that was that uh, uh, he could be very, very blunt. And and I, I remember one time him talking to one of his friends, and I could hear him just above, and, uh, and uh, Jim gave this friend in his dilemma. I don't know what the dilemma was, but Jim said, well, this is the way it is, Aaron. Jesus or hell, and you're going to have to make your choice. And there's truth in that, you know. But sometimes we don't realize the greatness of God's love in Jesus that he even brings us to that place where we face a choice. And when we come to that place and, 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 and we behold our sin, and there's nothing we can do about it, and he says to us, I take your sin. And this terrible penalty of, of dying and then paying the ultimate price of lostness, of separation from God. He says, oh, I take that too. I take that because I love you. 
I take that because I care for you more than you can ever imagine. I take that from you so that, that your pathway to God the Father becomes not one filled with a barrier and a gate you cannot overcome, but it becomes the king's highway. I called my son there yesterday on the way down to Duke Hospital to make a call. And um, <clears throat> the same son that was so blunt has become very gentle and also very, very concerned for people's relationship with Jesus Christ. And he witnesses that at the hospital, and he witnesses it wherever he goes. And, and in so many ways, uh, I say both proudly and sadly, he outshines me. And Elizabeth and I were blessed to be there when he had an evening prayer with our little granddaughter. And, and it was a beautiful prayer. And yesterday when I called him, we were talking and she was playing. She's 28 months now. But over the phone, I could hear her singing as she played. She didn't stop singing except to tell her daddy to get a toy out from under the television for her, which he told her, you're shorter than I am, you get it yourself. But she didn't stop singing except for that. And I heard clearly, clearly, coming over the phone, a little voice singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. My dear friends, do you not see, do you not know how very, very much your Savior loves you. There are no words adequate to express the greatness of his love for you. He took all your sin. It's gone. He took your eternal punishment that was rightly yours. He took it on himself. It's gone. And the only thing because of his gift of his life and his sacrifice on the cross, suffering all things for us, the only thing ahead of you is glory. There will come a time that we'll all sit down together. It may be soon. Some of us may be waiting for us now already. There'll come a time when we'll all sit down together. And we will see with our eyes and hear with our ears. 
the glorious Savior, and we shall know in fullness the greatness of his love. I look forward to that day. I look forward to that day. To sit down with a little girl who, of course, she'll be grown then, named Laurie Panui, whose whole life was one of sickness and suffering, and she died when she was seven. But she trusted in Jesus. The seven-year-old girl led her Buddhist doctor to Christ. I often said that in her seven years, she led more people to Jesus than I have. Sad, but it's true. But there was a power in her. I look forward to that. Oh, I could list. And, and those of our number here, Buster and, and, uh, and uh, Bill and Louise, so many that we've loved that have gone on. Our families. But the reason we will see that is that Christ loved you passionately with all his heart, that he suffered even the worst thing a person could suffer so we don't have to. Lynn, chapel, wherever you are in this world or in the world to come, you were exactly right. We know we were responsible for the Savior's death. And yet now we know that it was through his death and all of his suffering we are forgiven. When I behold the cross upon which the Prince of Glory died, I behold the purest and greatest love I have ever known. Let's bow our heads and thank Jesus for loving us so. Let's pray. Each of you offer your own prayer of thanksgiving to him. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you stood in our place. that you provided the full atonement for our sins, suffering death and separation from the Father because you so loved us. And in your obedience to glorify the Father on the cross, 
We have been rewarded. We have been gracefully given salvation. We have been given the place that we can stand in your presence, Father, no longer your enemy, but as your child and able to cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, because Jesus paid it all. In you and you alone, O oh Lord, we glory. You and you alone are worthy of praise. And glory be your name. And we give you thanks for paying our debt in full. The debts of our past, the debts of our present, and those debts we will incur in our future are already paid. And we walk in freedom and joy because you paid it in full. Glory be unto the sacred Lamb of God, our Savior, Christ Jesus, this day and forever. Amen.